22 to 33. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, I am, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Pray with me, please. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this day, Lord. We're excited to open up your scripture and see what you would have for us today, Lord. We pray that you would transform us by the power of your spirit, Lord. We pray that your spirit would be here illuminating scripture for us, Lord, giving us understanding, Lord, changing our our hearts, Lord, we all need to change. We all need to be conformed into your image and likeness, Lord. So I pray your spirit would come in and, and make our hearts soft and, and moldable and, and, and ready to change and, and to hear. Bless this day, Lord. I pray that you would bless the marriages here at Redemption West Mesa and, and make them strong, make them God-glorifying, Lord. I pray that they would be a blessing, Lord, for both spouses. It's a great blessing when, when two people are living for God's glory, Lord. And I pray that our marriages would be a blessing for our children. It's the, the greatest gift we can give them. And I pray that our marriages would be a blessing for the world as, as it's a picture of, of the gospel to the world. As the husband lays down his wife, just his, his life like Christ laid down his life for his bride, the church, Lord. So bless this time, Lord. We worship and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to Redemption Church. My name is Chris Marlon, the lead pastor here. I'm excited to talk about marriage. I've been uh, married for eight years, almost eight years, eight years in March, and so I got it all figured out. I can tell you it only took me seven years. I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, how many people have been married more than 10 years? Is anyone in here more than 10? I see some hands. How about more than 15? We got a few hands here. The overtombs and the, the okay. We, how about over 20 years? Wow, look at this. 25 years? 30 years? Oh, you guys are show-offs. How many years? How many years? That's amazing. And I'm willing to bet they would tell you it's God's greatest gift to them, greatest blessing to their lives. And that's kind of what we're going to see a little bit today. 
Uh, if you didn't miss, if you weren't here week one, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. We talked about how to walk as beloved children of God. And I really, I, I framed that the piece of scripture on how you should order your home. And, and it's really important. I, I'd encourage you to listen to it. One of the things I, I talked about was about living wisely. And I, I wanted to come back to this. And I want us to keep coming back to it. Ephesians 5.15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Right, so this scripture tells us you have two options in life. You can live wisely or you can live foolishly. And it says here that wise people are, are constantly evaluating the direction of their life. Right, they're constantly taking careful evaluation of the, you know, where they're going, what they're doing. That's what that means. Look carefully how you walk. Look over your life. That's what wise people do. And then he tells us, uh, wise people live uh, according to, to priorities, and they do what is important, right? Wise people make the best use of their time and, and their opportunities and, and don't waste their life, right? And on the, on the contrary, foolish people don't pay attention, right? They miss out on the opportunities. They, maybe they take the path of least resistance, and, and they waste their life. And so I want us to be evaluating the direction of our life, especially as we talk about marriage, you know, and, and this, this, this marriage sermon is going to be for both singles and for married people, but to pay, uh, to evaluate what is the direction my life is heading, all right, you know, and if you are married, are, are we growing together, are we growing apart, right, are, are we growing in love for Christ together, are we, are we changing, right, are, are we, uh, husbands, are, are, are you leading? Wives, are you submitting? Those are important questions, all right, as we get into today. So what we're going to see today is three things about marriage, all right? What it is, what it does, and what it needs. Sounds like a rap song, right? What it is, what it does, what it needs. That's how I remembered it, all right? Three things. So the first thing that marriage is, is its covenant. And we get a definition of marriage if you'll look in verse 31, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Paul here is quoting Genesis 2.24, which Jesus also quoted this same scripture in, I believe, the book of Matthew. But this tells us what marriage is. right? What it's telling us is that the man... And marriage needs to grow up, right, get a job, move out of his mom and dad's house, and, and, and marry a wife, right? That's what, what marriage is. And so marriage is for men, not for boys, right? Marriage is for men. And you see here, if you'll notice one thing, marriage is defined by man and woman, husband and wife. So God defines what marriage is. Marriage can be nothing else but between a man and a woman. And he also says here that the, 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 that the man would hold fast to his wife. Well, that idea of holding fast means to, to cleave. There's all, uh, there used to, uh, older translations say leave and cleave or joined or, or bonded to her, his wife. And that's the idea of, of covenant. 
Right? The definition of covenant is deep, exclusive, permanent, legal, and personal binding commitment before God. Right? That's important. Deep, exclusive, permanent, legal, and personal binding commitment before God. Powerful, important, right? Covenant before God. Sacred. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, My Family or Mi Familia. One of my favorite movies, all right? And it traces the, the lives of, uh, of an immigrant uh, man who comes to America and makes his life here. And if you're really interested in, in learning about the, the, the generational differences within, within Mexican, you know, Mexican culture, you should watch the movie. Great movie. But what happens is, you know, the third generation guy, he's, he's been Americanized, and he marries this girl to get her papers, and when the mom finds out, she's freaking out. She's yelling at everyone. And he's like, what's the big deal, man? I'm a hero. And she, he says, don't you understand that marriage is sacred? And she goes, sagradas. <laughs> An old grandma yelling at him. I love that part, right? Marriage is not a game. Right? Marriage is important. It's sacred. It's not to be uh, played with, right? It's not to be broken apart what God's brought together. Sacred. And so here's so marriage. What, what, what I want to tell you about marriage, it's not as, as much of a, a declaration of present love, but it's a promise of future love. Right? It's a promise of future love, of, of covenant and commitment and, and affection and service. Right? It, it, it's a promise that of future and, and that it won't be broken. Right? Because anyone can say, I love you and not be married. So it's not a promise to, to feel loving all the time, but it's a promise to act loving and nurturing and caring and devoted. So, uh, and, and then that's, that's regardless of the ups and downs and thick and thin. Right? So, so the two, and then it says in verse 31b, the, the last part of that definition of marriage, that the two shall become one flesh, right? So we saw covenant is followed by consummation, which is, I don't see any kids here, which is sex. I see some one. It, uh, you know, so what we see is the wedding day, covenant, right? Followed by consummation, wedding night, right? So sex here. We see it's more than just a physical act, but it's something, it's something powerful, something amazing, something beautiful happens, right? The two become one flesh. You're no longer yourself, but you become one. And that's the power that God's, how God's designed marriage is that, that covenant and, and consummation to, to make that oneness. So, and, and what we see is, Covenant is op opposite of our, our culture's idea of marriage, right? Our, our culture wants consummation without covenant, right? It wants sex without the marriage commitment. It, it tells us that, that manhood is sleeping with as many women as possible, right? And that, that marriage is, is game over. I'm sure you guys have seen probably some of your buddies Maybe you've worn one of the shirts uh, at, a, at a bachelor party with the game over, 
thing on the shirt, right? Chasing women is over, and it's just foolishness, right? Our culture treats sex as it's a biological desire, like food or drink. It's no big deal. There's no consequences. But what the Scripture shows us is it's powerful, right? Two becoming one flesh, and people are getting it mixed up, and it creates a lot of problems, and so what our culture really is chasing after is not covenant, but really infatuation, right? Infatuation is intense, short-lived passion for someone. And it really is more about myself than the other person, right? They're looking for uh, infatuation, and if this person doesn't make me feel good anymore, then i got to find someone else to make me happy, right? And that's why we see... The brokenness all around us, divorce and, and fatherlessness and, and single moms and, and, and poverty is the broken, you know, broken families, broken marriage. And I, and I like to argue, you know, our, our culture truly thinks that infatuation, right, that exciting, that romance, that, that one night stand or whatever is, is better than covenant. And I'd argue that covenant is better than infatuation, right? Covenant is way better. Can't even compare. You know, that's why I pointed to Larry. I, I guarantee you they'd say that. You know, it's better. You know, and it's even, and it's even more passionate and romantic because what, what happens is as, as you stick together in that covenant bond, you're willing to do anything for that other person, right? You become willing to die for that other person. You become willing to have a get an arm cut off for that other person, right? That's passionate. That's romance, right? And vice versa, you know, the other person, Lord willing, would be willing to take a bullet for you. So that's a that's a thrill that can't compare to infatuation, and that's a thrill that grows, right? That's a thrill that. You can't just give up on it. It's, it's something that you, you work on. You stay committed, and, and God does an amazing thing there in the, in the covenant, right? The other things is, is securing the, the security that you get of, of knowing this other person will never leave you, right? The, the ability to be naked and unashamed in front of one person, right? The covenant is, uh, is amazing to have someone that knows everything about you and yet still loves you covenant is awesome and what it does is two things it transforms us and it bonds us right i'll read verse 25 follow along with me through 27 it says husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might speaking of christ sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so, what this scripture does in Ephesians is it it points to the ultimate marriage, right? It's helping us understand human marriage here on earth by pointing to the ultimate marriage, which is Christ Jesus and the church. And when I tried to explain that to my daughter Olivia, how, how the church is the bride of Christ, she started giggling. And then, so what? Jesus is our husband? And she, was, she couldn't get it. 
But what, the, uh, what happens is when, and I think especially guys, when we start thinking about, all right, the church is the bride of Christ, it, it makes us feel a little uneasy. But what, what the pro, when, it, when we become uneasy, it's because we're looking at human marriage as ultimate and not, not the, the marriage between, the, the marriage relationship between Jesus Christ and his church is ultimate. All right? Because when we think of it, we just get sex and all that stuff mixed in there, right? So the ultimate marriage is Christ and his church. And this marriage just points to it. All right? But what we see here is what Christ did is he came to transform his people. Right? From dirty to beautiful. He came, he gave himself up to, to sanctify the church. To make the church holy and without blemish. Right? Philippians 1.6 says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Right? That's what God's doing with his church. And that's, in fact, what marriage does. Right? Is it, is it transforms us. Because we're only a shadow of who we're supposed to be. Right? Sometimes we get glimpses of what God's doing in our life and who we're going to be. Right? But we're not complete. God's continually working in us to, to make us more beautiful, right? Without blemish, holy, God-glorifying. We're like, have you guys ever seen a, well, I don't know about you guys, but I love old cars. And sometimes I will be uh, driving down the road and I'll see a, an old, like, rusted out Impala or something. And I'll be like, oh, honey, check out that car. That thing's going to, that be, car's awesome. And all she sees is, oh, my, what is that? What are you talking about? And whatever, she'll just say, oh, cool, and whatever, just to appease me. <laughs> but, right? But what I see is the potential there, right? I see, man, you paint that thing, you know, put, uh, make all the hubcaps match on it and <laughs> fix the interior. Oh, man, that's gonna be, it's going to be a beautiful classic car, right? And that's what, and that's what, Christ sees in us, right? And that's what we begin to see in our spouse is that we're, we're only a shadow of what we're supposed to be, but there's this amazing potential and, and that God started and he's going to complete it, all right? Because what happens is your spouse comes to partner with God to make you who you're supposed to be, right? Most people... In our culture, wants want someone just to ex, uh, accept me for who I am, right? And studies have even shown that singles are looking for someone who doesn't change me. And so what they're looking for, the reason they get married is they're looking for someone to compliment them or to supplement them or enhance them. They're just looking for fun, uh, uh, romance, you know, partnership. And, and if, if they're looking for someone not to, don't change me, what happens is, if they have that attitude, is when they get into conflict, hey, you knew who I was when we, met, when we got married. So, so you need to accept me how I am. Right? And I've actually heard people say that. All right? And, and, it, and it, makes, it makes repentance, it makes change hard. But in marriage, you have to admit that you are a flawed sinner and that you need to change. Right? And that you are nowhere near the person that God's created you to be. 
And when you, if you can do that, then you can understand the purpose of marriage and what God is doing in your marriage and, and how God and your spouse are partnering together to, to make you who you're to, supposed to be. Because marriage is going to bring you to confront things that are wrong with you in a way no other relationship is able to do that, right? As, as two sinners live together, you're going you're gonna to conflict. You're going to butt heads. And it's going to show you your deepest of, of insecurities and selfishness and, and, and pride. And, uh, but you're going to have to get out of denial uh, of who you really are, right? And so you need to find someone that will partner with you and Christ to, transform, to help make you into the person who you're meant to be in Christ, right? the person who you're created to be. And, and then you're going to need to do the same for that person until you stand before Christ spotless and beautiful, right? Even if, if you see that holy and without blemish, as this scripture tells us. And so when I speak of, of changing another person, there's a lot of people that, that want to get someone and change them. This is not change as in the as in change them for my own personal pleasures, my own personal desires, right? Conform them into to my image and likeness. When, we, when the Bible speaks of transforming or change, it's, it's changing them who God wants them to be. So they might not always, they might never meet all your personal preferences and desires, but your desire is for them to be who God's made them to be. All right? So in marriage, you should... Expect conflict. You shouldn't be surprised when you have your first conflict and, and start thinking like, oh my God, did I marry the wrong person? Right? You should expect it. And, and conflict isn't always bad. And you can't avoid it. Right? Avoiding conflict is avoiding intimacy with another person. Right? You're going to... You, well, you don't have to... You don't need to make everything a conflict but the things that are that are important right you have to be speaking the truth to one another and praying for one another and and you need to be able to talk about the things that need to be changed and so each of us needs to be humble and repentant and approachable for for our, our spouse to be able to know like i can come to this person and and, and bring up an issue or a problem and and know that they're not going to blow their top off, right? That, that they're going to listen and be, be teachable and open to change, right? Humble, repentant. And so you both need to be able to do that, right? You should, your, your spouse, your wife should be able to come to you, hey, honey, you've been kind of harsh with us lately. What's, what's going on in your heart, right? Without you blowing up, right? Your spouse should be able to do that. Right? The, the scripture tells us in James 1.19 that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? That's important. And then when you get in conflict, one of the principles I'm always thinking about is that you should seek to win the person and not the argument. A lot of times when you're the, the stronger uh, personality in the relationship, maybe you're, you're, uh, you're better at arguing, you can always win an argument. 
But when someone does that, right, they're, they're, quick to, they're quick to speak and they don't listen and they get loud and they're controlling, no one wins. You both lose. So seek to win the person and not an argument. And so uh, one way you can think of marriage is, is like a gem tumbler. What you do is you put in a gem tumbler, you put the, the stones inside of the, the machine and they go around, they bump, they clash into each other, knocking all the rough edges off of off of the, the stones, and when they come out, they're, you know, they're beautiful, and they're rounded. And so that's what marriage does. It's like a gem tumbler, knocking off the rough edges. And, but we have to be humble and, and quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry for God and your spouse to be able to do that. So this might, ask, this might bring you to ask, well, who do you choose to marry? All right, as you guys who are single, who do you choose to marry. And I'll tell you, it's not all about looks and physical attraction, right? Those things fade as you get older. You should look for things that aren't going to fade as the person gets older, right? One of the most attractive things is, is someone that's really willing to serve, right? This, a person that's humble, a person that's loving, a person that's willing to change for you, right? Those are important things, right? Love for Christ, generosity, a servant heart. And so if, if you guys are going to be in this partnership to change one another, you must be equally yoked. That means you must marry another believer, right? Or, or this thing all breaks down. So you, the Scripture tells us clearly that you're marry only believers. And you should look for a best friend and a trusted guide, right? Someone that is going to walk alongside me and we're going to grow together and we're going to change into the image of Christ together. Uh, verse 33 gives us a little more advice on how we sh- who we should look for to marry. It says, each, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And you, you'll notice here it has different uh, re- requirements for man and woman. It tells the man to look for someone, or the, the call here is for man to uh, love his wife like Christ loved the church, right? That you're going to have to lay down your life for someone. So the call for the man is t- to find someone who is lovable, right? If I'm going to lay down my life and I'm going to give everything to her, I want to find someone who is lovable, easy to love. Right? That means she's, she's content, she's humble, she's gentle, and, and she's, uh, you know, not, not a running after worldly desires or, or, or passions, right? And so what happens is most guys look for someone who is just hot, and, and, and they'll ignore all those other issues because she's hot. And so what I often tell guys is, you know, hey, man, look for someone who's lovable. And they'll say, oh, but she's hot. And I'll say, but so is hell. Right? So is hell. And if you, if you marry that woman who isn't those things, you're going to be in hell in your marriage. And women should look for someone whom they can respect. Notice he doesn't say love for the woman. Right? He says respect for the woman. Because I, I believe women can love any old fool, but can they respect them? And I'd say no. 
right? So find a man who's worthy of respect, right? Humble, gentle, who serves, who protects, who obeys God, who lives in, in community of the church and, and under authority so other people have, are, are looking at his life and looking at who he is, right? Look for, look for someone who, you know, can hold a job and is paying their bills, right? You want to see that consistency. You want to see wisdom. Look for a man who you want your sons to be like and who you want your daughters to marry. That's someone you can respect. And he's not going to be perfect, but, you, you know, you look and you see the glimpses, right, of what God's doing in his life and who he's going to be. All right? So the second thing marriage does is it bonds us. It bridges the gaps between the genders, right? Because husbands and, and wives' roles here are not identical. They're different between the roles here in, in gender and marriage. And uh, we're different, but we're, we're, we're equal, all right? And God gives us these, these roles as a way to complement each other and, and to bond together to grow, to, for the good of the marriage, all right? And he lays down one principle, and it's the principle of headship. Look at Ephesians 5.22 through uh, 21 or 4. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So wives are called to submit to their husbands like the the church submits to Christ, right? It says Christ is the head of the church, and the husband is the head of the marriage. That's the principle of headship. And all, what that means is the husband has the, the final say. All right? He's going to be the leader. He's going to be responsible. Right? He's going to have authority. And when, what, I, what I believe he's calling husbands to is to be a servant leader like Christ. Right? Who, Christ didn't come to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So he's the servant leader. Right? And God's put him there when, when the, when, uh, in those tough situations when you disagree and there needs, needs to be someone to make that final decision, God's given him the authority to make that final decision and the responsibility. All right? So it's not about himself. Right? And, and so man should never use headship to please himself. Right? That's the whole idea of love your wives as Christ loves the church. That means you die to self. And so he, he always puts his, his, the needs and desires of his wife above his own. So here's a way you can think about it. All right, so imagine you, you and your wife, you go to buy a, a car, right? You're in the car lot. You, the husband wants the red car. Wife wants the blue car. Husband says, hey, honey, remember Ephesians 5.22 says you're supposed to submit to your husband. We're getting the red car, Right? And wife says, hey, but honey, don't you remember Ephesians 5.25? says that you're supposed to die for me. This, isn't, this is way short of dying for me, right? <laughs> Who's right? Well, the wife is right, right? The wife is right. That's what, that's what it's calling, to, to die to yourself, to always put the needs and desires 
of, of the wife ahead of our own. All right? And so, men, I would encourage you to always put her desires first. Always listen to whatever radio station she wants in the car. Always watch whatever she wants in the, on the TV or in the movies. Right? Where, where does she want to go on vacation? Yeah, we'll go on vacation. How do you want to decorate the house? Okay, we'll decorate the house that way. All right? And, and, I, and, I, and I, it's wise to do that. And I think oftentimes, you know, most marriages, the wife's going to reciprocate and say, hey, no, what do you want to listen to? Right? But it's wise for us to, to be continually putting our wives' needs and desires first because there will come a day where you have to make that, that tough decision, where you do have to make that, that final decision that, that she doesn't necessarily believe that's the right way, but God's given me authority, and, and I'm making this decision because I believe this is the best for us and the family and, and for you, right, for the spouse. And so what you want to do is have her trust you when that day comes but, because if you're always about yourself, right, you're always putting yourself first, it's going to be hard for her when that really tough decision comes. So you can make it easier for her. So, right, so when that red car, blue car decision comes up and men, has to, and men have to exercise headship and say, know what, honey, I know you want the blue car, but we're going to go with the red car because this one fits our, this one fits our, uh, our budget better, right? It's got a better resale value. The... the it's it got more space. It's safer for the kids, right? You make you make that decision, and then and then hopefully she's able to submit and follow that because she knows that you're making the decision that's best for her. All right. So it's never to please yourself. I missed something. Well, I don't know what I missed out there. All right, number three, the last one. What it needs. Here's what marriage needs, all right? And this is what a lot of marriages are lacking. And this is why many par- marriages fail today, because it's lacking the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So what it needs is Holy Spirit-powered, gospel-based ability to do love philanthropy. I got this from Tim Keller. So listen to this. Write it down. Holy Spirit-powered, gospel-based ability to do love philanthropy. Right, and I get this from Ephesians 5.18, which we talked about two weeks ago, which it talks about being filled with the Spirit. Now, we, we talked about two weeks ago that the Holy Spirit's job is to make what you know in your head real to your heart. Right, that's the Spirit's job, real and alive. And so the, the Holy Spirit makes the, the gospel real to us, that makes the, the love of Jesus Christ real to us. And, and it even says, if you follow along there after 18, that the Spirit fills your heart. He makes you happy, and it leads to singing worship songs, right? It leads to worship and, and ability to, to submit to one another, which is the idea of, of serving one another. And what you'll see in, is it naturally transitions in verse 22 to the call of wives submitting to husbands. There's no gap between being filled with the Spirit and wives submitting to husbands because what, what, it, it's not changing subjects. It's, it's one continual flow, one subject. And, and so what, and what he's saying here is that marriage will never work unless you know God's love 
deeply and powerfully in your heart, right? And if you do know that, if you do know God's love, if you're filled with the Spirit, then you're able to do love philanthropy. And if you know what philanthropy is, is it's you're making so much money over here, you got so much money that you're able to be generous and share a ton over here, right? So I'm getting so much here, I'm sharing it over here. And so that's, the, that's what I believe that Paul's showing us here, right? I'm getting filled with the Spirit so much over here that I'm able to love and submit so much over here, all right? And so unless you're fill, being filled with the Spirit, unless you're filled with the Spirit and getting all you need from God, you won't be able to serve sacrificially, right? You won't be able to give when your spouse is sick or distracted or in, in a busy season at work, right? Unless you're filled with the Spirit, right? If you don't know God or your relationship's not real to you, when you go through a rough patch or or some or uh, or conflict, you're gonna you're gonna break down. You're gonna melt down. If you're all right, because your if your spouse is your main source of love, then you're gonna break down when they're not able to give you that love, right? And so, without the Holy Spirit, you're only able to give love as long as you're getting it, and that's what happens to a lot of marriages. Right? Once one person stops giving love, and so the other person says, well, forget you. If you're not loving, then I'm not going to love. Right? And people, both people are being selfish. And then you withdraw. You become angry. You look for love. Maybe you look for love elsewhere. But, uh, but if, you, if you're getting filled with the Spirit so much over here, you'll be able to continue to love and pour out even through the hard times. Right? And so if you love... God, more than you love your spouse, you'll be able to love your spouse well, right? And, uh, you know, if you're getting all that love that you need, even through the hard times, you know, your marriage will be able to persevere, persevere. So, and also, this power will come through the Holy Spirit making the gospel real to you, right? Remember I talked about that, that final gospel, what marriage ultimately points to is Christ and the church, so the Holy Spirit makes, helps us see that, that Christ was the perfect spouse, right? He created us. He made us. And then his bride rebelled against him. We went our own way, right? We rejected him. And, and, and so what we see is Jesus didn't turn away from his spouse. He didn't turn away from his bride and say, forget you. I'm going to go get someone else. No, what Jesus did is he came down, right? He became a man and he took on flesh and he lived the perfect life that we should have lived. He dies the death we should have died on that cross, right? And he came and he loved us and, and he gave his life up for terrible spouses, right? Even though his terrible spouses had denied him, betrayed him, and mocked him. He's able to, to love us, not because we're lovely, but to make us lovely, right? So when you can understand that, that ultimate marriage and the gospel by the power of the Spirit, then you'll be able to love well in your own marriage, right? Because I'm, I'm being loved by Jesus Christ. I'm being filled by Him so much 
that I can, I can keep pouring out. I keep pouring out. And, and, we, don't, and we can stay in covenant and, and I can pray and, and, and seek the good for this other person. All right, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that we would be able to practice love philanthropy, Lord, as we grow in our understanding of the gospel. We see that we're the bad spouse. We're the terrible spouse. And, and Jesus, you loved us and, and you gave your whole self for us. Help us know that. Help us know that not just in our head and our hearts so that we're able to pour out and pour out. And I, and I pray, Lord, 25, 30 years from now, Lord, we would, we would have a, more hands saying 50, 25, 20, Lord, people covenanting, experiencing that, that huge blessing, not giving up when times get hard, not withdrawing love when, when love isn't being given. Help us, Lord, to, to do marriage well for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.